You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Kevin, it's great to have you on, man. Thanks for uh, joining us. Really great to be here, Ledge. So, hey, would you mind giving just a little background of, of yourself and your work so the audience can uh, get to know you a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the VP of product uh, at Braze. And Braze is a customer engagement platform that delivers messages across email, push, and apps uh, for really great uh, large brands like Disney's ABC News, Delivery Hero, which is a large food delivery network, um, and Microsoft. And overall, we're in the business of really deepening the connections that customers have with brands uh, through technology. So our goal is to really make the messages from these brands feel more like conversations, much more personal, and importantly, across all the different channels and all the different places in which brands and people are communicating, which, of course, are really changing all the time. Yeah, and you and I talked a little bit you know, before we started recording just about like the unbelievable proliferation of communication channels that you know, not just brands, but like everybody needs to be, be thinking about. And, and I thought the way that, that you guys are are thinking about that internally, you know, is, is kind of uh, cool and instructive for, for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, our, when we think about building uh, a modern communication platform and a modern customer engagement platform that really helps um, these two groups, the brands and the users, to, to communicate better, uh, one of the things that we really see is that the degree to which all these channels is exploding is really, really rapidly increasing. So, you know, if we rewind just five years, um, at that point, smart, or let's say eight, eight years, uh, nine years, at that point, the, the first iPhones are just coming out. Mobile is just becoming a thing. People are using flip phones. The primary way in which you communicate digitally and you have these experiences digitally is via a website or via an email. If we rewind even 10, 15 years before that, the internet is barely even a thing. People are listening to radio. They're watching TV. If we rewind even you know, 50 years, it's essentially nothing. It's the, the early days of radio and TV. And what, what's crazy is that we're, we're exactly the same people. Like this has happened across somebody's lifetime. And so one thing that we're always thinking about is what is that next sea change? What is the next um, area that we should be looking at and really exploring for our customers in terms of future technology development? And what, I don't know, what's that look like now? I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, everything's moving from the little piece of glass in your pocket to, you know, every single device, you know, so now, um, Disney, you know, wants to talk to me through my refrigerator and my toaster and, and at least my car. Right. So I don't mean, you know, I, I'm joking, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, everything is a communication vector. Now, how do you even begin to make sense of that? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's a really interesting uh, challenge for us. I think that it's something that I, I personally find to be one of the kind of most exhilarating uh, parts of parts of our job is to constantly just explore and try to look around the corner because what what we see is that these these new technology platforms. So let's take the mobile phones as an example. They they go down a very interesting path where they um, they tend to steadily increase in in adoption and they steadily increase in importance if we look at say like a, a cell phone and then at a certain point they snap but before they snap and the snap would be the iphone moment. the snap would be you know we go from a technology platform that was important in cell phones to something where now a modern smartphone literally more adoption of these than we have adoption of clean running water or of reliable electricity uh, i mean it's it's become that pervasive, but along the way, there are these very um, sort of more abortive attempts. And so what we're always doing is uh, what's very interesting, I think, is that when you're normally going through a product development cycle, you gather feedback, you talk to users, you analyze needs, and you you look at what's available. And that tends to output a relatively high confidence answer in terms of this is the future, this is important, or this is not. Uh, when we're looking at these emerging technologies, so say a chatbot or um, connected home, connected TVs, AR and VR, uh, augmented and virtual reality are two areas that I'm very, very interested in. What what we tend to see that's that's really interesting is that you, you can't really necessarily get an ultra high confidence answer. If you wait until all of the adoption really spikes and explodes, then you've, you're already beginning to miss the boat. You know, you can catch up, but it's you're somewhat behind the eight ball. And I think that what's so what's so fascinating is that this is an area of product development where it's much more oriented around vision. It's much more oriented around just looking at the technology, literally playing with it. This is something that we do. There's an Oculus on, on my desk um, where we'll actually just play with it. We'll say, like, is it ready? Is it not ready? What do we think? Are we looking at a Palm Pilot? Or are we looking at an iPhone? Are we looking at a Pebble Watch? Or are we looking at an Apple Watch? And I, I would actually even argue the Apple Watch, you know, may not be the end all be all on that one. Yeah, absolutely right. So, and you know, I, I think you made you made a great point that it's not just that the the communication vector has changed, but the the way that the availability of that sea change changes the way that people communicate at all. So the kind of the door swings both ways, right? So now I've got mm-hmm. ubiquitous communication in many different channels in my pocket. Whereas I might have accessed that in a totally different way. And the same thing is going to happen when my, you know, sort of glasses like you and I wear on a regular basis, all of a sudden have mm-hmm. AR baked into them and I don't even need a phone anymore. Or, yep. you know, I'm, I'm constantly wearing, you know, whatever thing that I can turn on my, my VR access and I'm just there, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm talking to my live customer service rep as if I'm sitting there, you know, having a coffee with them. And so the, it goes on mm-hmm. and on and on. It says that, not just that, you know, access changes, but the means of access and then the means of access changes the way that you use it in the first place. So you guys are dealing with like multi-dimensional complexity of trying to predict the future. That's got to be both fun and daunting. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I would say it's much more fun than daunting, but you, you really you really hit on it because one of the other things that I think is really interesting is that other than other than say the, the fax machine because uh, honestly basically nobody uses a fax machine anymore uh, other than that most of the channels that we see well, they're in government yeah I mean let's let's not forget right. that yeah right. no it's true and, and yeah and they're, they're still they're still there and it's still it still matters um, and, and what, but what's so interesting is that it's 
these new technology paradigms, they're, they're additive. Mm-hmm. Like you get it, you get an um, Amazon Echo or an Alexa and you put it into your, you put it into your room, but you don't go and throw out your laptop. Mm-hmm. It's like now, now you have both. Um, it's sort of like if a new, a new type of restaurant comes to your town. Now that's just another restaurant that you eat at. Sure. It cannibalizes a little bit of time, a little bit of market share from uh, say the, the burger joint that you were going to before, but n- now you just have both. And, but what's, what you really hit on, which I think is so, interesting is that there's also that that sort of backwards transformational aspect of that so uh, one example that we like to think about is that mobile the the rise in proliferation of smart devices that can receive email is actually one of the most significant disruptive effects that's happened to email ever because email fundamentally went from something where you know i wake up in the morning i stretch i get my coffee i walk to my computer i log in and i check my email to something where now i'm sitting here my phone buzzes i just received an email so it's become both a real-time communication and messaging channel in that sense but at the same time it's just completely changed the scope of where that falls into uh really our society and and we see that in many other cases. So uh, one example that I think is really interesting would be uh, we think about something like a presentation. Mm-hmm. So you used to have a whiteboard or a PowerPoint presentation. That experience looks completely different in augmented reality. Mm-hmm. When I can then go and just arbitrarily draw on any surface, say, for a, almost a trivial example, I've completely disrupted the entire presentation and video conferencing market and experience. Mm-hmm. But without even touching that technology, really that fundamentally, the fundamental change was the proliferation of, say, a VR or an AR and the introduction of that into the system. Right, and you need to be, in your seat, you need to be drawing on the objective, right? So the, the end result mm-hmm. is someone just wants to communicate ideas better, you know, and mm-hmm. they don't care about the delivery mechanism. And I imagine that same thing is a tough lesson sometimes for a brand to say, geez, like we need to be, everywhere we need to be instantaneous everywhere you know and um, mm-hmm. what's this new whatsapp thing you know and what's the what about this and like geez there's fifty thousand messengers and people just expect us to be always on um it's very daunting you know and i i imagine that the data that that you guys are able to to capture really kind of helps inform that is at least you don't need to be everywhere you need to be 80 percent there at all times with a changing collection of the 80%. Mm-hmm. So the way that we like to think about it is that we we really do keep a, a close finger on the pulse of where the market is going. But and there's there's two main ways, two main vectors. I think that we really look at this from. So the first is a is a bit more qualitative, which is that we're we're really fortunate to work with a number of uh, really really great, uh, really excellent brands, mm-hmm. and so all of those brands mean that we're working with really great forward-looking teams and by partnering with them and really understanding their needs and understanding their business to, mm-hmm. to go to your point about the objective really understanding their business what moves the needle for them that helps us to really point point the needle and of course you can also look at adoption metrics but but one thing that i think is also interesting is that when we think about a new and emerging technology um, in many cases you don't really have a precedent for that mm-hmm. so for let's just take uh, say um, ar mm-hmm like augmented reality, there isn't really a whole lot of commercialized, um, very, very prevalent augmented reality yet. We don't really know what it's going to look like. We know that the Snapchat spectacles are probably not it. We know that the Magic Leap is sort of on on the way. And we know uh, some of these other technologies are on the way, but they aren't prevalent. It's certainly, I don't get onto the bus and see every single person with AR goggles on. And so what, what we like to think about is actually 
also thinking in terms when we're evaluating these technologies about the more objective sort of almost law laws that we can appeal to. And I think those come in two forms. The first is just about, is this quality technology? Is this something where we use it and people can't put it down? And the other is actually something, and you know, this is an area that I devolve into a bit because I've, um, at least from studying in college, like a neuroscience background is that technology is evolving on this, on this scale of years, increasingly quarters, but the human brain, Mm -hmm. our own sensation and perception is evolving on the order of tens of thousands of years um, or or more, or in some cases less. And because of that, you can just start to see things such as we know that people are visual creatures. We know we're not going to grow out of that. This is just Mm -hmm. something that we care about and we can consume information very, very rapidly through our eyes, much faster than say through, um, through smell or in many cases, even through hearing. And so because of that, that can also help to point Mm -hmm. the needle into different sorts of directions. Right. Which is why design and experience and CX and just all these things like, yeah, we're essentially visual and emotional Mm -hmm. creatures. Right. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. at least we have, a vector to understand that you're right. Like, you know, the the technology that pretends to, you know, sort of access my auditory nerves and and do things to me, probably not on the brand stack for a while, you know? So, right. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Yeah. You talked about the massive data scale necessary, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for your business. I think, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the interest that we're seeing, you know, from clients and, and from, um, you know, engineers in general are wanting to get into, you know, really uh, practical usages of, of scale and data and, you know, cutting through a little bit on the hype of the, you know, everything's AI and ML now. Um, but the reality is that, you know, there are some really good practical implications of, of big data that are coming to be useful. You know, mm-hmm. what what's that been like in, in your business at such massive messaging scale? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, the one of the really interesting uh, things I think also about this um, this huge proliferation of mobile devices and also sort of that continued progress of Moore's law in terms of the efficiency of computers that we're seeing is that um, there's a in some ways a very logical chain which is we um, we have flip phones then you get smartphones and that transforms things it transforms email which uh, you know is very very important. A very, very important messaging channel for us. But what it also does is it literally just gets more people on the internet. Mm -hmm. It just gets way more people onto the internet. And at the same time, all of these devices and the ability to process the data from them is getting way, way, way better. So what does that do? This immediately kicks off the sort of big data, data Mm -hmm. science, data-driven revolution that we see. This is something that was sort of an aspirational goal before. And what we often see with these value chains is it goes from an aspirational goal or something that's a best practice to something that's just table stakes to even be a competitive brand. And what that does is then it says, all right, now we have data everywhere. Everybody's making good data-driven decisions. What are we going to do from here? Now we're going to be even smarter about it. We're going to write smarter applications. And that kicks off sort of what we're at the earlier days of right now around machine learning, artificial intelligence, where we're starting to see these very, very powerful practical applications coming into place. Um, so, you know, anything around Siri understanding your voice, like that's, or, you know, face ID on an iPhone, these things become possible because we just have so much data. We have so much training data and so much of an ability to, to make use of them. And so that's really exciting to us. And what we're always looking for are where are the, where are these places where, you know, humans are really bad at doing a task and computers are really, really good at doing a task. So what, yeah. And, and that's, that's really what it comes down to. One thing that humans simply can't do 
cognitive limitation is, you know, process 150 yep. billion, you know, inputs per second or whatever it is. Right. So yep. this is a, an area really. that makes a lot of sense that if, if, if we were to ever gather any useful learnings and intelligence out of massive amounts of data, that's the only way to do it. And so it's, it's a very practical yeah. place that, that you can start to say that actually takes shape. We're not talking about general AI here. We're talking about narrow applications mm. of science and data that will allow us to do things that, that we couldn't do before. Um, but it isn't smart, you know, sort of unto itself. It's smart because right. we can it, feed it a lot of data vitamins and, you know, it kind of can learn stuff. And then we should be able to take those uh, inferences and, and values and make some uh, probabilistic decisions based on it. Yep, it, it, exactly. And I think that that's where we're seeing those, those real, I completely agree. That's where we're seeing these really huge opportunities right now is these systems that can do something with the, with the guidance of a human being. You know, human beings are great at determining goals. They're great at um, looking at a very abstract situation and figuring out sort of what is the right strategic course of action to, to take from here. Uh, you can ask uh, you can ask a human being something like you know where do you want to go on vacation if you ask a if you ask a computer algorithm that it has, it has no idea it's not it's not good at things like that but what computers are so great at is you know they can read all that data like you said they can process it um, computers are good at math much to my chagrin a lot of people not that good at math um, and uh, computers don't get bored. People get very bored. Uh, computers don't need to sleep. People need to sleep. And so it, it's really a, a symbiotic relationship. I actually sometimes think about the relationship between machine learning and, um, and, and companies and brands that are, that are hoping to, that are aiming to take advantage of it. It's almost the, the type of relationship that you see with um, a hunting dog and, and a hunter where there are very, very complementary skill sets. So, for example, if we look at uh, a hunter and, um, and, uh, and a hunting dog, dogs have a great sense of smell, they have a great sense of hearing. Um, humans are much better at seeing, and they have much better vision than most dogs do. Um, you, know, you have this, that similar sort of complementary skill set across a machine and a human being or a machine and a team at a technology company, and it's, it's just sort of an extension of that sort of paradigm. So all this big thinking stuff, you get to do this all day long, or do you actually have to you know, work with engineers and stuff too? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, that's actually a, a great transition. So I, I, I love talking about this stuff, but the the day to day obviously involves m many other things. You know, expense reports that's a fun one. Uh, but um, so I think that one of the just to transition a little bit when we're thinking about these these big picture ideas, that's that's the direction that we're that we're mm -hmm. aiming in long term. But then there's a question of practically speaking, how do you actually get there? And so one thing that we've found um, is really, really effective is to have really nimble teams that have, uh, that have clear goals, but that can really um, own their own destiny in terms of how are we going to accomplish that goal, you know, exploring and researching and building that very, very deep expertise in terms of um, the overall problem set and the technology landscape that they're in. So, for example, one thing that um, we've found very, very successful is to put together these teams of um, engineers and with an engineering manager or two, tech leads, uh, designers, mm -hmm. data scientists, product managers into that very core nimble group. Um, I think the, the term that uh, that Amazon likes to use is a, a two pizza box team. And that, you know, that's roughly, I think, around the size that you want, where everyone can hold that entire problem set in, in their head. Because what, what I think is really interesting about building software products is that these software problems and software needs are fractal. 
So it, it looks complex when you look at it from here. Then you zoom in with a microphone, with a magnifying glass, and um, you know it, it gets closer and closer. And at every level, there's that same amount of super rich detail. And so it's just impossible to think about everything at every scale all at once. And so what we aim to do is to um, get teams of really, really smart folks, but with very different skill sets. And then what they can do is really break down these problems and approach them in, in a really great way because they have the time and they have the focus and they have the attention. That that strikes me as, a, as an interesting way to look at, you know, the diversity discussions too. So it's, you just simply need like a lot of different perspectives and experiences. And yeah, it's about skill set, but it's also like, like, hey, I've been trained to see the world in, in certain ways. You talked about, you know, you're a neuroscientist turned product. You know, and I don't think that's accidental, right? That that we tend to derive our skill sets uh, from an area of interest, right? And that if you bring all that together mm-hmm. and think of it in a, a diversity of diversity of thought kind of way, that you're going to be able to solve mm-hmm. problems better and probably approximate the the client and user experience better because they all have different perspectives as well. Yep, absolutely. I think that the that that type of diversity is uh, extremely important, and it it really leads to really leads to great outcomes um, in a lot of different ways. Fantastic. Well, all right. So I've got uh, got lots of listeners that are you know sort of on the enterprise scale, like you guys. Got a lot of listeners who are are more like, hey, you know, we're still in garage stage. So break it down mm-hmm. for our our friends here who are you know working solo and working in little pairs and and trying to you know solve the next big problem and and get on your radar as the next i don't know the next solution that you guys need to pay attention to at at scale uh so you're saying in the sense of like what, what, what would your would advice my, be for the, the people that don't have mm-hmm. uh, you know enterprise scale yet uh yeah um absolutely so just thinking back to uh to when brace was a much smaller company um i would say that one of the things that was most important, and I think actually really continues to be important, but especially when, before one is an enterprise scale that's really important, is just really increasing the velocity, doing anything you can to increase the velocity of learning, whether that's velocity of experimentation, whether that's velocity of um, just learning more about your customers, and just figuring out a way to be moving as, as fast as you possibly can to learn more about the space. Because I think that that's ultimately what um, allows you to kind of surf that wave or, or rise with the tide of technology because things are changing so, so quickly that if you're not learning really, really rapidly, then you're not necessarily seizing all of the opportunities that are ahead of you, both in your own domain and also within sort of the, the broader zeitgeist of where your market is going. That's a great quote. I'm going to finish off with that, Kevin. It's good to have you, man. Thank you for the thoughts today. Great. Thank you. And uh, take care. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch. And we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.